Let's just close our eyes just for a moment, every single person in this place. And I just want to ask you a question this morning before I get into anything else, and, and uh, just something that God's been speaking to me uh, this week, and nothing to do with my message, but I just think it's really relevant. I just love you when no one's looking around. If you just put up your hand, if, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I just feel really empty. Can you just chuck up your hand? No one's looking, so get it up nice and high. You're just like, I just feel really empty. All right, cool, you can pull your hand down. Now you can all open your eyes. Let me share something with you that God spoke to me this week. Everything that happens in life has a purpose and it has a reason. We understand that. But we so often, because of the world that we live in, we think that a full life is a good life, right? So if we have a good job, good house, good this, good that, the, the fuller our life is, the better our life is. We, we have this thing called social media, which everybody always takes photos of their most amazing times. Nobody has ever seen a couple put a photo up on Facebook or Instagram of them fighting at six o'clock on a Saturday morning over what's for breakfast, yes? We just take a photo of what we had for breakfast. Because what social media does is it just shows the highlights of our lives, and what that does for some of us is it makes us feel like somehow our life is empty. And that's what the world would say, that if you're not having all these amazing times and amazing things happening, that your life is empty. But I learned something this week when I was reading the Scriptures, and that is that Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you want to be filled, you have to be empty. So it says in Ephesians 5.18, it says, be filled with the Spirit. So here's the thing. If you are empty, you are actually in the best place. Emptiness is not weakness. Emptiness has the ability to be filled because a full life is not a filled life. So many people have their lives so full that they have no room for God to fill it. And we think that being empty is a bad place, but being empty is actually the best place because to be filled, you have to be emptied. That's why Paul said this. He said, I boast in my weaknesses because I understand that in my weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect. We actually live in a world where the world portrays and says to us that you have to be strong to be successful. The kingdom says you have to be weak and empty to be successful. And I, I think we have to shift our mindsets and, and actually, actually be, it's nothing to do with my message, I never intended to say it, but we actually have to celebrate our emptiness and our weakness because we understand in our emptiness and our weakness, God fills the space. And he fills it with a thing called grace and mercy and kindness. And so actually to get out, because what you don't understand about Paul is before he says that, that in my weaknesses, God's strength is made perfect, he gives a list of all the things about how amazing he is. Because you've got to remember, Paul was an extreme scholar of Scripture. He knew his stuff left, right, and center. Unfortunately, he used it to go around killing people, Christians left, right, and center. But how many know that on the road to Damascus, God knocked him off a donkey? And showed him the right way to live. And then Paul went, and so before he talks about, in my, I boast of my weaknesses, he's giving to the Corinthians at that point in time, because in the Corinthian world, success, strength, those are all things that were celebrated. So Paul gives a list of all his credentials as to why he has the right to speak to them. But he turns around and says, I don't want to talk about all that. He mentions in there, 
this is really, really crazy. He mentions in there, oh yeah, by the way, three months ago I went to the third heaven. I don't know about you, but if I had been to the third heaven, I would be probably, you know, hashtag, you know, within 14 seconds of it happening, woo, been to the third heaven, what did you do today? You know, but Paul doesn't do that. He just mentions it in this, this list of all his qualifications as to why he should speak, but, and then he says, but listen, forget all that, let me boast about my weaknesses. Because I understand in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're feeling empty, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling insignificant, if you're feeling like you have no value based on the world's standards in the kingdom of God, you are ready for an encounter and a move of God in your life because you have to be empty to be filled. And so I just want to encourage that with you this morning. Is that all good? All right, I don't know about you, but in our house, there is this regular conversation that children have about who's the best child. Anybody in this house have that conversation where, you know, or they hack your Facebook page and put on there, um, Madison is my favorite, or Seth is the best child that I... Anybody, anybody got children like that? There's this argument about who's the greatest in the family. Everybody knows in this place right now, every single person knows that the greatest person in the house is dad. Yes? Can I get an amen? All right, thank you. No, I'm just joking. But there's this argument about who's the greatest. Our kids have this argument about who's the greatest. And, and, and we tell them, look, you're, you're all my favorite. <laughs> Some more than others at other times. But, but there's, this, there's this thing within each and every person within our children of this thing of wanting to be the best, wanting to be great, wanting to have significance, yeah? And the disciples had the same discussion with Jesus. And it's in Luke 9.46, an argument started amongst the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Can you imagine it? No, I'm better than you, Peter. No, you're not. I'm better than you, John. No, they're having this argument like our kids have about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to be the greatest disciple out of all of them? They're having this massive argument about it. And the thing that I love about the story is Jesus doesn't burst their bubble. Jesus doesn't turn around and go, excuse me, none of you are great. God is great. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't actually rebuke them or tell them off for wanting to find out who amongst them is the greatest. Jesus just does what he always does. You know when, when, um, when, when John and James wanted to call down fire from heaven and destroy the town because they wouldn't accept Jesus and his miracles and all that sort of stuff? Jesus didn't rebuke them for doing that. I can tell you now that if Dave and Gina came into my office and said, hey, um, we want to pray down fire and destroy Pookie High School because we're just so frustrated with all the teenagers, you'd be like, okay, something's gone a bit amiss. Something's a bit loose." Maybe we need to have a little bit of a holiday, a break. Woo. You know, it'll be like, guys, uh, you know, like, you, you, you'd be worried. But Jesus doesn't rebuke them for saying that. He just, he just does, Jesus just does this thing where he doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He just redefines greatness for them. So what does that say to me? That this desire that we all have in each and every one of us to be great is actually from God because God is great, yes? And who's created in his image? 
in him we move and we have our being. So if God is great, then what we're? Thank you, Isaac. Someone's with me this morning. But the problem is, is that the guys here are arguing about greatness as the way the world sees it. But God doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. What Jesus does is redefine greatness for them in verse 48 of the same chapter. And he says, and he said to them, whoever receives this little child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, all will be great. And so Jesus doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He just says, let me just flip this on its head for you and show you what greatness really looks like. Just like we talked a little bit before about the world sees strength as successful, but God sees emptiness and weakness as a stepping stone for great success because Jesus flips it. He says, if you want to be great, you've got to be the least. He doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. And friend, never should you feel bad for wanting greatness in your life. None of you should, you should want to do something great. You should want to do something of significance because God created you for greatness and God created you for significance. We just have to understand what greatness is in the kingdom so we get it right and not wrong. Are you with me this morning? And so he says to them, you are called to greatness, but greatness looks different than what you think. And if you really want to be great, then you have to become the least. He goes on and he says this in another piece of scripture in Matthew 20, 25 to 28. And it says, but Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. For whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus here is just flipping on his head what leadership looks like in the kingdom because what they'd seen in, in the Roman Empire and in the Pharisees, and that was this lording over people, this abuse of authority. And we still fear that in the church today. People still fear that in the church today, that leaders have too much authority or too much say. Or, or, and, and the reason why we don't like it is because inherently we understand that in the kingdom that's not right. That that's not how God operates. It's not how he's structured. And so Jesus completely flips on his head this whole concept of the way that they're meant to lead, the way that they're meant to be leaders. We understand that he's great, and because he's great, we're great in him, but that greatness is expressed by becoming the least. Jesus expressed his greatness when he died on the cross for our sins. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so he's saying, this is the example of greatness for you. It's great that you want to be great. I want you to be great. I've put greatness in you. But let me show you what greatness looks like in the kingdom. In John 15, 13, this great scripture that we all know, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And And the great thing about Jesus is not only did he say this, But he actually did this. He actually did the thing that he said. He laid down his life for us. 
But when Jesus mentioned this scripture in John 15, 13, he wasn't really talking about his death and resurrection. He was actually trying to show us that the meaning of laying down his life or the meaning of our lives is that we should lay down our lives daily for a sacrificial service. You see, when we understand that, it starts to work well within our marriages because the Bible says this, husbands, lay down your life as Christ laid down his life for the church. When it comes to your wives, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and lay down his life for it. There's not a woman on the face of the planet that would have a problem loving her husband if he laid down his life for her like, like God laid down his life for the church. And there wouldn't be a woman married to a guy on the face of the planet that did that, that did not respect him and honor him because of that. And so he's trying to show us that sacrificial service, that Jesus served everybody. Jesus served everyone, everywhere he went. He did it in ways that revealed how much he truly loved them. You know, when he, when he talked to the Samaritan woman at the well, you know, most Jews, most rabbis would have bypassed the town, but not Jesus. Why? Because he wanted an appointment with the woman at the well to let her know how much he loved her. Jesus served children, women, prostitutes, foreigners, Roman soldiers, and beggars alike. Jesus just served everyone. In fact, one of the criticisms that the Pharisees had, or the religious people had of Jesus of the day, is that he was a friend of sinners. <gasps> I reckon one of the criticisms of the church today is that we've become friends of Christians. Just let that sink for a little bit. I read a book just recently and it challenged me and it said, senior pastors of churches, when was the last time you had an unsaved person over to your house for dinner? And I'm like, because isn't that what Jesus showed to go and serve everyone? He said, I did not come for the, for the healthy, I came for the sick. He came and he laid down his life every day. He's, he's walking and he sees a funeral coming past and he's not intending to go to the funeral. He just sees the funeral and he sees the woman crying because her son has died and all of a sudden it stops him in his tracks because he's moved by compassion because of what he sees but, and detours from where his intention originally was and goes and raises the boy from the dead. Why? Because he just couldn't help himself because he just loved the person. He couldn't help but go and serve them in that kind of way. And, and I think when we look through Scripture, love, if we look at anything about what Jesus did, it's really simple. It's this, and if you get nothing else out of the message this morning, I hope this stays in your head and resonates for the rest of your life. But love looks like serving. Everything Jesus did when he showed love was a, was a service. Whether it be healing, whether it be delivering, people from demons, whatever it was, wherever it be safe, it was always love looks like serving. If you want to abide in Jesus' love, then we must embrace his lifestyle of serving people. And John chapter 13 is the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. But in verse 12, it says this, it says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You called me teacher and Lord, 
and you say, well, for I am, for so I am, but I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than him who sent me. And so his first thing is he's saying to them here in, in John 13, do as I've done to you, do this. I've done this as an example. I've washed your feet. It wasn't really his job. The job of washing feet was a servant's job as they came into the house for dinner. They would wash the feet of the visitor because they, you know, it's dusty and they had sandals and all that sort of stuff. And so they would do that. And he's saying to them here in chapter 13, do, do as I have done. Do to, you know, what I have done to you, you need to do to each other. But then we jump forward two chapters into chapter 15 of John and verse 9. And it says, he says this, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will be able, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, and here's the most important part of this scripture, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he says in John 13, he says, do as I have done to you. And then he takes it to the next progress in chapter 15, where he says, love one another as I have loved you. And so he's trying to show us that love looks like serving. Because the first example is, I washed your feet, so you need to wash each other's feet. That's an example of serving. But then he takes it to the next level in chapter 15, where he says you, uh, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so he's really saying that my whole thing of what I've done with you, the whole feet washing thing, was not really so much service, but it was my love. And you need to understand that love looks like serving. See, serving without love is pointless. Loving without serving is pointless because love looks like serving. The things we do for our children is because we love them. Yes? <laughs> I'm glad your kids aren't here this morning because some of them may not be that convinced. The things you do for your parents is because, I would like to think, is because you love them. Yeah? When I went down last year and, and, and took a week off work and went and painted the outside of my parents' house, it wasn't because... I, when I thought to myself, what could I do with a week of my holidays? I know what I could do. I could go and paint a house. That'd be fun. I, I could go to Fiji or I could paint a house. I think I'll paint a house. That's way more fun. I didn't do it because it was enjoyable. I did it because I loved them. And because I loved them, it wasn't an issue. Because love looks like serving. Everybody say, love looks like serving. Say it again. Love looks like serving. Love looks like serving. And Jesus even takes it a whole step further because he says, basically he teaches us, that, and we're going to read it in a moment, he says that when we serve others, he actually counts it 
is us serving Him. That, that looks really different, doesn't it? Because rather than it being a homeless person, it's homeless Jesus. Rather than being a hungry person, it's hungry Jesus. Because I can guarantee you, if you were walking down Queen Street like I did the other day, and Jesus was lying there asking for money so that he could buy food, you would stop. Matthew 25, verse 35 to 40 says this, Jesus speaking, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king replied, and the king in the story is Jesus, replied and said, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so serving and laying down our life for others is really, really critical. Why? Because Jesus takes it really, really personal. It's personal to him. What you do for the least of these, you've done for me. In other words, what you don't do, you haven't done for me. I don't know about you, but I love God so much that I would do anything that he asked me to do because I'm so thankful for what he has done for my life. Is there any other people in this place that are so thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for them? They've changed, he's changed you, transformed you, saved you, delivered you, put friends around you that you never would have had any other time, put a family, called a church around you that you wouldn't have had otherwise. I'm so thankful for what he has done for me. I'm so grateful that I can't help but want to do what it is that he asks. And what he asks is, would you do this Would you clothe people that need to be clothed, feed those that are hungry, visit people in prison, be for those that are sick? Because if you would do that for them, man, that's you doing it for me. And I take it really personally that when you do something for someone, I see it as that you're doing it for me. He's really saying you simply cannot love Jesus and live for him without loving people. We manifest our love of God by serving others. They shall know that I'm your God, the scripture says, because of your love for one another. And if love looks like serving, then it's about how we serve one another, how we take care of one another. You know, I don't know about you, but you've probably heard this saying. I've even used it, and I'm going to stop using it now. But, you know, people say things like, it's not about you. It's about others. Has anybody ever said that? Anybody ever said that to your children? Don't, you guys have just been so, I don't believe you this morning. I'm the only one that has my hand, I'm the only one to be honest this morning. I don't know how many times I said to my children, it's not about you, it's about others. You know what? That's completely wrong statement. Because it's not about you and it's not about others, it's about Jesus. Because what you do for the least of these, you do for me. 
It's not about others, it's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. It's not about others, it's about Jesus. It's not about others, it's about Jesus. It's not about whether they thank me because I'm doing it for Jesus. It's not about others because it's about Jesus. And we're about others because we're about Jesus. We're about others because we're about Jesus. And if we're about Jesus, then we're going to be about others. Are you with me this morning? So how do we know when we are understanding all of this? How do we know when we realize that, actually, I realize that this is about Jesus? Does anybody want to know? Let me give you two ways that you know all of a sudden that you've had a shift in your thinking and you've got the right kind of greatness operating on the inside of you. The first one is this. We'll look for opportunities to love and serve people. We will look for opportunities to love and serve people. We will look for opportunities to love and serve people. And the best opportunities that you'll find to love and serve people is right nearby you. The greatest opportunities to love and serve people are the people closest to you. The people closest to you should feel loved and served by you. Now, we have a amazing son, he sometimes gets a little confused and thinks that we're his servants rather than serving. So this does not mean that you allow people to walk all over you and, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying that you go home and your husband sits on the couch after church today and says, woman, get me some food. That's not that's not what we're talking about here. But what we are talking about here is that we see the needs of those closest to us and we voluntarily go, you know what, there's an opportunity for me to show some love and service. So rather than, you know, we, we, we do this thing when we go grocery shopping that we beep the horn when we get home and the kids have to come down and help us carry the groceries up. When they came down yesterday to get the groceries because there's only six bags, the comment was, why did we need to come down? Couldn't you and mum carry the six bags? And I'm like, no, because I'm not walking up the stairs with any bags today because you two can carry them. This is what I'm thinking in my head. But that's what it is about, eh? It's not waiting for the beep of the horn. It's seeing the car come in the driveway and without even having to be asked, go, oh, you know what? I could show my parents some love by serving them and run down and get the groceries without being asked. Just putting that out there in case any of my children are here this morning. It's about noticing that the lounge needs vacuuming and rather than waiting to be asked, we just go and do it because we want to show love. I'll move on. Bill Johnson says this. He says, an increased blessing in your life is so you can better serve others. An increased blessing in your life is so that you can better serve others. So here's my thought process in and around that. That maybe you don't have increased blessing in your life because what you've already been given you haven't used to serve others. 
And I believe that God operates this way. He puts more into people that he can trust to do the right thing with. I was talking to a businessman in our church this week. He's just saying, I got so much work coming out of my ears. It just, it just needs to stop. I've just got way too much work going on. Now, I know what that businessman does for the money that he makes from his business. He sows it so much into, not just into the mission field, but into to, to solo parents and stuff like that in our church. He, he's, he's a giver out of the abundance of the blessing that God gives. And I said to him, well, mate, it's your fault. Why is it my fault? Because you're so generous. And so God looks down and he goes, you know what, I really want to be able to bless people. Who can I trust by blessing them because they'll pass it on? I can trust this guy. And that's why you've got all the extra work because you're just living too godly. Because the Bible says this, give and it'll come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. What is that? That means that as I bless, then the blessing comes in so much that it's flowing out. And I can't contain it. It's just come. Why? Because God can trust him with the blessing. And so when you have an increased blessing on your life, but you consume it on yourself, then God looks down and goes, they didn't even use that to bless others, so I'm not going to give it to them. I'll give it to this person because I can trust them. It's gone quiet. I'll move on. Point number two. So the first thing is, is that you look for opportunities to love and serve people. Number two, we're finishing on this this morning, is our attitude is defined by one goal. We want to love Jesus. How do, you, how do you know when you got it right? When your attitude in serving is, I just want to love Jesus. It's, it's not about people anymore. It's not about the person that I'm helping anymore. It's just, I just want to love Jesus. Luke 17 verse 7 to 10 says, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Jesus is saying here, don't thank the servant when he comes in from working hard in the field. Tell him to keep going and get you some supper. See, you're looking at me now. This is what he said. No, I didn't say this. He said this. He said, don't thank him because he's done the things that were commanded of him. It's, it's God actually saying that we shouldn't expect any thanks or praise for our service. Because he's saying here, don't thank the guy for what he should have done. It's about an attitude shift. Don't thank the guy for what he should have done. He should have done that. There's no thanks in that. You don't go out, I don't know if you've got an apple tree or something in your backyard, but you don't go out to your apple tree and pick an apple off it, and then when you finish eating it, you turn to the tree and go, 
thank you, Apple Tree. I really appreciate all the work that you've done over the last 20 years to enable me to come out here and pick an apple off the tree and eat it. I really appreciate the hard work that you've put in to produce apples. You know why you don't do that? Because an apple tree should produce apples. What happens if that apple tree doesn't produce apples? You chop it down. Why? Because it's useless. You don't thank it for doing what it's meant to do. You don't take it back to the store and say, you can have this apple tree back because it was producing apples. You don't thank it for what Jesus is saying here. Don't thank the servant for what it is that he should have done. Now, is Jesus saying that we shouldn't thank and praise people? No, that's not what he's saying. Because we all know that he says in the, book, uh, in the story of the talents, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. God is all about giving people praise and thanks for when they do something good. What he's talking about here is he's talking about the attitude of the servant. If the attitude of the servant has to have thanks and praise for what he's done, the servant's in trouble. It's about the attitude of the servant. Jesus is not saying that a good servant doesn't deserve thank and praise. What Jesus is addressing is the attitude, the motivation of the good and faithful servants. Good servants don't serve for thanks and praise and they don't need thanks and praise. Good servants don't need people going around patting them on the back and telling them how great a job they are doing. They don't need it. doesn't mean that we shouldn't give it, but they don't need it. If you're the kind of person, and I speak to myself when I say this this morning because we're all wired this way internally, where we sometimes need people to tell us how great a job we're doing, how amazing we are, because it makes us feel better about ourselves. The problem with that is, is that you don't want to hear it from people. You want to hear it from Jesus. Because if it's about the people, the crowd is fickle, and they will say, uh, you know, son of David, welcome, come in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And they've got palms and they're waving and they're worshipping him. And then three days later, it's crucify him. The crowd shifts so easily. And he's saying a good servant, a true and faithful servant, doesn't need, doesn't mean that we shouldn't give it, but doesn't need it. Now, I, I want to say something this morning. I want us to be a church that is so grateful for all the people that serve. I am so incredibly grateful for all the people that serve in the life of this church. We would not be where we are and we will not be where we're going to go to if it wasn't for the people that faithfully serve week in, week out, give up their time, give up their stuff to do things. The guys out in at night that are serving with your children who you're so glad to be without for about an hour and a half on a Sunday because they're now with somebody else and it gives you a break. I am so thankful that they do that. I'm so thankful for the ones that look after the ones in Christ. I'm so thankful this morning that there's people with umbrellas that are going out when it's raining to make sure that when people walk in, they're dry and not wet. I'm so thankful for the people that get here early and set up and make sure the coffee machine's going because without coffee, everything falls apart. But I'm so thankful for the guys that give up their time to do the sound and the lighting and the data. So thankful for the people that come and serve here at Mainly Music and do such a phenomenal job. So thankful. And I want us to be so grateful and so thankful. We want to be a church. But I want us to understand 
one thing, that at the end of the day, our service is a gift to God. Not to the church. Not to Craig. Not to Trinity. Not to Dave. Not to Gina. Not to Rima. Not to Anna. Not to Jono. Not to anybody other than God. I serve because I love Him. And it is my gift to Him. It's not my gift to others. And it's not my gift to the leadership team. It's my gift to Him. Because when you're serving God, you don't care if anybody notices. When it's all about Him, you don't care if anybody notices. And in fact, can I say this? You don't want people to notice. Because the Bible says this, when people come up to you and say, you're so amazing, Saskia, you're so fantastic. You're the Bible says that that's your reward. But it says what's done in secret, the Father rewards in heaven. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure his rewards are a little bit better than, you're awesome. <laughs> now, don't take me literally at my word and now nobody's going to thank anybody in the church or like you go up to someone and say, don't, don't tell me how good I am. I don't want your reward. <laughs> Just see all these people who put their hands over people's mouth. Don't say it. It's like you, you give me $5 pocket money, God gives me a million. Just zip it. I'm not saying that. We don't need them to thank us because we love him. We don't need to be thanked because we love him. He told us the way to love him was to serve. And so that's what we're doing. And that's why we're doing it. We serve as a gift to him, not to be seen by others. All of our lives should be about service and love to God for his service and love to people. And I'm not just talking about on a Sunday. I'm talking about on a Monday and a Tuesday, and a Wednesday, and a Thursday, and a Friday, and a Saturday. Our love and service to God, the Bible says this, is that we don't work for a boss, but we work for Jesus. And so when the boss says, can somebody stay late for 15 minutes, you're not staying late 15 minutes for the boss, you're staying late 15 minutes for Jesus. Work is unto the Lord, the scripture teaches us. And so all of a sudden, what, what happens then when the boss sees that you're always the one that's prepared to do the extra 15 minutes here and be put out here? And, and then the one day they ask, how come you're the one that always volunteers? Oh, because I love Jesus. I said this to my boss, old boss once. I only said it once to him. I told him that he was lucky that I worked for him. And he said, why? I said, because I'm a Christian and God loves me. And because he loves me, he's going to bless your business. I only said it once. I was young and arrogant, but it was still the truth. <laughs> you see, when I'm serving, I'm just doing what he's commanded me to do, to love people like he loves me. And you know how he loves me? He loves me radically, radically, rad? It's pretty radical, yes? Passionately extremely passionately and zealously. That's how God loves us so much. He laid down his life on the cross for me. That's how much he loved me. Yet while I was still a sinner, while I 
didn't like him, while I despised him, while I wanted nothing to do with him, he died for me. So the least I can do is go love other people the way that he loved me. The least I can do is do that. And I don't need thank yous. If I'm stacking the chairs, serving people, then I'm going to stack chairs and serve people because I don't need your thanks. I just need to love on Jesus. If serving in the host team is what I need to do, I don't need your thanks. It's just me loving Jesus. If signing up to the creche roster so that you know mums are only dads are only in there for once every eight or nine weeks, even though I don't even have any kids in there, if that's what I need to do, you don't need to thank me. I'm just loving Jesus. If 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 um, being here and being part of the music team and practicing on Thursday nights and being here early on a Sunday morning and all that sort of stuff, if that's what it is that I need to do, you don't need to thank me. I, I'm just loving Jesus. I've been involved in security on a Friday night so the 90-year-old young people here are safe and nothing happens to them. Uh, you don't need to thank me. I'm just loving Jesus. Are you with me? You don't need to thank me when I bake a cake for the next door neighbor who's just shifted in. I'm just loving Jesus. You don't need to thank me when I help an elderly lady cross the road and carry her shopping bags to her car in the shopping car park because you don't need to thank me. I'm just loving Jesus. When I look after the solo mum's kids for her so that she can go and have time with her friends and have a break from her children, you don't need to thank me. I'm just loving Jesus. When this is our attitude, then whatever we receive thanks and praise from people or not, we are satisfied with our offering. And the reason is this, because the reality is that praise and thanks of people won't satisfy us because they're not the one that we're trying to please. What satisfies me, what should satisfy you, is we're in that secret place with the Lord when we're in our quiet time with him and we hear him say, I'm so pleased with you. I'm so pleased with you. I love how you love people. I love how you care for people. I love how you make them feel valued. I love how you make them feel seen. So many people can be in such a large space and feel so alone. But just by listening, you help them feel seen. I love that you make them feel value. I love how you've given up time out of your life and laid it down for this. Thank you. Thank you for loving me by loving my body. Thank you. You know what? When you hear that, when you hear that from him, that's all you ever need to hear. I don't know about you, but one day I want to get, one day, one day I'm not want to, I'm going to heaven. I know him as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to heaven, but what I want to hear is, well done. Good and faithful servant. I think all my faults and all my failings and all my issues that I would never want anybody to see on the big screen behind and 
this youth pastor once said when I was a teenager that it's all displayed in heaven. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to be there that day. And it comes up on the big screen and everyone's like, oh, my, oh. I don't think that happens. Because otherwise then my sins aren't removed as far as the east is from the west. Or they're not gone into the sea of forgetfulness. But what I do want to hear is not welcome. It's not, hi, nice to meet you. What I want to hear is well done. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment in this place. We read a scripture that says, no one has love like anybody else other than someone that would lay down his life for a friend. I don't know everybody in this place this morning, but I know this. I know that Jesus loved you so much that he served you on the cross so that you could be free from your sin, that you could be free from stuff that is trying to destroy you, trying to pull you down. I know that Jesus served us with his arms outstretched, but he didn't just stay on the cross. This is the great news. He didn't just stay there. He didn't just want your sins to be forgiven, but then he rose again so that you could have a life beyond your wildest dreams. But the starting point of a life of your wildest dreams is to empty yourself of your sin onto the cross where Jesus carried them for you so that you can be filled with your future. And if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ, or I have walked away from Him and I need to get back into relationship with Jesus. I need to come back to this place where, you know what, it's about Jesus. It's all about you. And you know that you've just kind of drifted from God a little bit or you've never ever said, you know what, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And here's the thing. If you've never asked God to be your Lord and Savior, never asked Jesus to come into your life, it's really, really simple. He's already forgiven you for your sin when he died on the cross. All you've got to do is receive that forgiveness and he will wash you clean and he will, he will step into your world and take you to places you never dreamed that you could go to. Because he desires you to be great, but for you to become great, you have to kneel at his cross for a moment. So if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I need to give my life to Christ or I need to get back to where I should be with him. If you're in this place this morning with no one looking around, I just want you to put up your hand. And when I see your hand, I'll ask you to put it down. Is there anybody? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Is there anybody else in this place this morning? I just need to give my life to Christ. I just need to get back on track with him this morning. Is there anybody else in this place this morning that needs to do that? Awesome. Why don't we all stand to our feet this morning? There's three people that put up their hand this morning. We're not going to embarrass you uh, or anything like that. We're, gonna, we're all going to pray together with you, and you can stay right there in your seat. But I want everybody in this place to pray this prayer after me so that we can just do it all together so that they can feel safe and they can feel secure in their new family, which is here at CFC. So let's all do that together. Can we do that? Can we do that? All right, let's do this. Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross for me, that you loved me by serving me on the cross. I acknowledge 
that I have sin in my life, but I also say that you have provided that forgiveness. So I receive your forgiveness right now. I ask that your blood would wash over me. And I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you give Jesus a hand this morning? Come on. Come on, in heaven right now, there's a party. The Bible says when one comes to him, there's a party in heaven. There better be a party on earth as well. Why don't you just close your eyes for a little bit again, and I just want to ask another question this morning. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I have been so caught up. There's some of us 